The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts I just reflect back on our mother. And we, first of all, we weren't allowed not to do anything. We don't know what that is. If you lived in her house, you either worked or go to school. You got up in the morning and you put your clothes on. Even if you were sick. Yep. You had to be really, really deathly sick because even if you didn't feel well, she said you will feel better once you get up and put your clothes on. You'll just feel better about yourself. What's up, everybody? I'm Gammy, and this is Positively Gam. Every week, I have raw, in-depth conversation with inspirational people pushing for change on everything from relationships, aging, politics, wellness, to the current issues facing the Black community. But in this episode, we're going to be discussing retirement. This week's guests are some ladies who have retired and then unretired into a new field. My oldest sister, Karen. Karen started her work in the nonprofit sector, and now in her retirement, she's a realtor. And my friend, Sybil, who worked for the federal government and now works for a nonprofit. And then Wendy, who is also my dear friend, who was a nurse like me. We actually worked together. 
and now she's a therapist. Welcome, ladies, to Positively Gam. Thank you, Thank Gam. You. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? Wendy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Adrian. And Silva, welcome back. Yes, yes, This is your yes. second time on the show. Second time, yeah. <laughs> and Karen, what about you? How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> are you thinking about changing your name? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh-uh. I am not. I am not. My hue is different from the Karens they are referring to. Facts. 100%. I guess uh, we'll just jump right into it because let's, let's start with the definition that we found for retirement, which refers to the time in life when one chooses to permanently leave the workforce behind. And the traditional retirement age is 65. So what did you each envision for yourself that retirement would be like in one sentence? What did you think your retirement was going to be like? I never thought of retirement. I never thought I would be doing nothing. I always thought I would be doing something. Okay. What about you, Sybil? I actually thought about permanently leaving one specific workplace and then starting another chapter. Okay, so you're Karen. You never really thought about a traditional retirement where you would just be chilling and relaxing. Exactly. Wendy? I agree with the ladies. I never really thought about retirement in the sense of retiring because I hadn't hit you know, 65 yet. Right. I could have retired. You're the youngest of us. So it, it just, I, I never really thought about it. I guess I thought that I would definitely be doing something, not just sitting around. That's interesting. I wonder if that is like something just that is new for our generation or is it out of necessity? Do we need to work because everything is more expensive than it was back in the day? Or are we healthier and more energetic? What what do you think the cause of that is? I think there's a shift. There's actually a shift. You know, in the old days, you worked a job until you were of retirement age. And then you stayed home. You didn't do anything else. And I think that in today's world, some people retire and then become reemployed somewhere else out of necessity. But also we have this thing where the 40 is the new 30, the 50 is the new six, you know, that kind of thing. So we're not as sedentary unless we have to be anymore. So it's just, starting another chapter because I've been retired for 18 months from the federal government. However, I've been employed at the nonprofit for just a little over a year. And I still have a lot to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me, I was eligible for retirement from 
my former position in 2016. But of course, like I said, I wasn't thinking about retirement. I still had to work. So mine was a transition because I was still, I was doing therapy while I was still doing my nursing job. So it was really just a matter of me transitioning from full-time nursing to now full-time therapy. So it might've been a little different. And I think in in thinking about retirement later on, of course, I thought about traveling. I didn't know if I was going to have grandchildren at the time. I really want to be active in my grandchildren's lives. Just chilling, basically, in terms of that, being able to do what I wanted to do, whatever that is, and just trying to figure out making meaning out of those years, but definitely not just sitting. Yeah. What about you, Karen? You know what? Listening to Wendy, when she said having a chance to be with your grandchildren and all that, one of the reasons I picked real estate is because I'm my own boss. So it's not like I'm doing a nine to five, which basically I couldn't do anyway because of my health, because of lupus. But by having this job, I do what I, as much as I want or as little as I want. And that was important. I couldn't, I, it wasn't like I, I could take a full-time nine-to-five job. I still, through this COVID stuff, helping my daughter out by watching her son two days a week. So it had to be flexible for me because I, I do want to travel. But like I said, it's, I, I knew I was going to always do something. Yeah, yeah. And I know for me, like I've retired from nursing twice. And originally it was to help Jada with the children. And then actually when they got old, because now like Willow is the baby and she just turned 20. So <laughs> we have no more babies. But even once I started, um, once I stopped traveling with Willow, when she was going on tour, I would still travel with her. And once they didn't need me for that, even when I came, when I was home, remember, Karen, we started with the Silpata. Right, selling jewelry. We just started selling jewelry because, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I have on Silpata right now. And so does Wendy. Wendy has on some of my Silpata earrings. But we... We really just did that for fun and just for to give us something to do and give us some purpose. It wasn't anything that we really thought was going to be that financially lucrative for either of it, but it was fun. It was something to do. I just couldn't see myself just sitting home doing nothing. It just wasn't in the books for me. So, Wendy... Tell me when you realized that the time was right for you to make this change from nursing, because I know for a while you you, you were a little frustrated. And you know what? Even before we get into that, I want to talk just a little bit about the difference between a job and a career. Because there's a famous quote that you hear that says, passion is the difference between a job and a career. But I also would say even more than that, it's not always necessarily passion, but a job is just like going to work and getting a paycheck. But a career is more like when you have a job and experience and training that all along is helping you advance to your 
in your career path, your goals along the way. So a career to me is more long-term, a long-term vision that you have for yourself. Agreed. So to answer your question, and I'm glad you framed it that way, Adrian, because of course, I've been a nurse. That's what I originally went to school for. And at first I was on a career path. So in my nursing career, I did several things. So I went from clinical nursing. And then when I specialized in labor and delivery, that was wonderful. I was learning and I loved it. And then I went into management from there. When I started working for Kaiser, I went into management. So that I felt was the pat, my career path. Then after doing several years, about seven years of management, I took a different position and it really worked. I was tired of management basically. And I took a different path in my career where it was very autonomous and I did like case management. So I was just responsible for myself. I was doing this. It was new, but that morphed into something else that was an internal issue. And I became the person to handle that internal issue. So it was a internally created position, if you will, not something you would look for on the outside. So as I did that job, it worked for my family life. I was able to still had basically like a nine to five and I was able to do certain things. But then I started to realize several years into it that it wasn't fulfilling. And I wasn't really interacting with people. I was sitting in front of a computer all day. I was using my nursing knowledge, but in a different kind of way. Different way. Yeah. And that's when I really became very, I don't know, complacent. And I said, this is not going to work for me. Like this cannot be it. And I need to work. And I've been with the company for so long. There really wasn't anywhere for me to go outside of that. I was kind of, I call it the golden handcuffs. I was so vested. My salary was great. I had great benefits. So you have to think about those kind of things. There's no point in me leaving now. And it was actually very difficult. I was pigeonholed and it was very difficult for me to move even within the company. So when I started trying things, what I realized is I need to have interaction with people. So I even thought about going back into clinical nursing, which is unheard of. Once you come out of clinical and you get to do other things, for some people, it's, oh, I'm not going back to the hospitals. I did, I did just that. I, my path were always, I think both of us were always in women's health. And so our journey's similar. I very quickly went into mid-level management. We worked for Kaiser together. We were both clinical managers and I got so sick of that. I just did not like it. But I had such a hard time going back to the bedside. People, when I would go for interviews, people didn't believe that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I absolutely want to be back at the bedside. And it's to your benefit to hire me because I have experienced both. I know how important it is to be a manager, but I also want have the knowledge to go back to the bedside. It was difficult for me to get a job back at the bedside. People were like, I, I couldn't believe it. I remember because you had said you 
had always wanted to do L&D. And I was like, go for it. But trying to get back then because you didn't have that recent experience, it was almost like the doors were locked. Uh, yes. <laughs> it, I had to retrain, but I'm telling you, it was one of the most satisfying jobs that I ever had. I absolutely loved being at the bedside. And had it not been for my personal circumstances and with my grandkids, I would have, I'd still be nursing today. That's how much I loved it. I really loved it. What about you, Karen? You retired from running the corporation, running um, the foundation, and then made a decision to go into real estate. And you had to retrain like... It's two different worlds. You didn't know anything about real estate. And the way I got into it, because I was at a crossroads where I really didn't know what I was going to do. And Whitney, my daughter, had been laid off. And she said, Ma, I'm going to take a real estate class. And I was like, oh, because we spent a lot of time online looking at houses. Yes. <laughs> we, we just love looking at houses. I just, I, we just love looking at, because she's at a point where in her family life that she's going to have to move. So we just love looking at houses. And I said, oh, I'm going to do it too. Nobody told me it was that hard. It's very hard. Let me tell you, that real estate thing is no joke. And I'm blessed because I have a broker. My mentor is my broker. And if it weren't for her, I probably wouldn't have continued. But she has been really uh, supportive. But it, it allows me to still have contact with people. Because I'm like you, Wendy. I, I need to have contact with people. Having worked in the community, basically I was a community organizer. I moved up into the roles that I had. But that was basically what I, my career was, was community organizing. Just like Barack. <laughs> Put that plug in, girl. <laughs> now, what about you, Sybil? Because you went from, from the government into nonprofit, which that was different too. Yes. And that's not what I saw. That's not what your original plan was. No, it was not, Adrian. I had started looking uh, at my retirement figures 10, 10 years before I retired, figuring out what my income was going to be. I worked for the federal government. I moved up to the highest grade level in the federal government, which, of course, was management. And at five years before I retired, I knew I was going to leave in five years. Was that because you look, looked at the numbers and you felt like financially it was okay for you to do or you were just sick and tired and you needed to be done and you needed to figure out how you could do that? Well, it was actually both. It was actually both. But I would say it was more that I was ready to stop. By the time I left the federal government, I had a team of 36 managers, over 350 employees, and I had just felt that I had made as much of a contribution as I could and as I was willing to make in search of having some meaning in my life. So prior to retiring, I embarked on a journey with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine and I began to receive training in teaching 
meditation, various modes of meditation, all the didactic or medical physiological benefits that go along with that, as well as the spiritual and emotional benefits that go along with the various types of meditation and practicing. And so my initial plan was to become certified and work with that particular group of people. However, I put that training on hold. My mom got sick. We had to take care of her. And so my thing was I was going to retire, do my certification, and just run meditation groups, stress management groups, resilience groups, things of that nature that help people heal and help people move forward. And what happened was six months before I retired, because I am in recovery in a 12-step program of over 31 years, I was exposed to the peer recovery movement, which is a relatively new movement where you have people with life experiences, whether directly through addiction or as an ally, maybe a family member or a close person suffer from the disease of addiction. And we received this peer recovery training so that we can support people that want to recover. And through completing that training, I was introduced to the nonprofit that I work at today, which is a supportive housing program for families that are in the reunification process of getting their children back. Their children were removed due to their substance use. And it's about, for me, it was about finding some meaning, making a a contribution, using my own life skills in order to do that. But let me tell you what's funny about that. I started there in that vein. However, my executive leadership skills kicked in. I tried not to I tried not to do it. Really did not want another career. Could not take charge. Make it a job. And I couldn't do it. And so COVID came and I worked at home for a couple of months. And in those couple of months, I wrote a proposal to add value to the infrastructure of the organization. So of course, when I presented it, I was no longer serving as a mentor. I moved up. Now I work directly for the director of that nonprofit. Wow. Nice. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Wendy, you actually had to go back to school. All of you had to get additional training, but I think yours, Wendy, was a bit more intense. Yes, it was. And it was never in my nursing school was like a hazing. And I was like, I'm never going back to school. So yeah, that was challenging. I was 51 years old and I had been out of school for many years. For me, this was a calling on my life. That's what I realized. It was a calling on my life and my girlfriend and former co-worker, Renee, Karen and Adrian both know Renee. She was the one that said to me one day, she said, you know what? She said, I'm going to say this to you. And I know you may not want to hear it. <laughs> she said, but I really think that you should consider counseling or therapy or something. 
just based on our relationship and how she saw me interact with other people. And I had heard that before, but it was like, ah, whatever. And she said, but she said, it may require that you go back to school. And I was like, then that's not going to happen. Let's not talk about that anymore because I'm not going to do it. But after a series of events, it was just really interesting. That's what kind of got it going. That conversation that we had sitting there at work, miserable on our jobs. <laughs> and it, it, it started a series of events that was amazing. That was truly amazing. And I had actually gone through a slight depression because, not a slight depression, I was depressed because I was trying to get back into clinical. I had applied for a job within Kaiser, which actually was the job that I started in back in 1994 when I started working there. And I got the position and then 24 hours later, they froze the position and decided that they were not going to fill it after they offered it to me. So that was in November of 2012. And I really spiraled down after that. I was like, what am I going to do? Because I figured I'm going to be working at least until I'm 62 or 65. And I was 51. I said, I cannot do this for the next 13, 14 years. That's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I figured, you know what? I have to change my attitude about this. I've got to find meaning and purpose in my life outside of this because I have to work. So what am I going to do? And it took me several months before I figured it out. And when it hit me, I said, oh my gosh, I, I may have to go back to school. So then I put all this criteria on going back to school. Like I'm not taking a GRE. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I had to look for a program. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. There were all these things, but then all the doors just slowly started to open up. And I can say to you ladies, going back to school, I, I wound up going back at, I had just turned 52. So I was contemplating all this at 51, going on 52. And in 2013, I went back full-time school, full-time work. I had to do clinical rotation, like the whole nine yards. But everything worked out to the point where I never took out a student loan. I had a child in college and I had a child in private high school. And I did not, I paid for my education, my, my graduate education through scholarships and through the job, tuition reimbursement, things like everything just opened up. So it was something I never thought I would do. And it actually turned out being, I did three years and then I had to do postgraduate work to get my clinical hours. So it was a five-year journey. It was a five-year journey. Did either of you, Karen or Sybil, did either of you experience any, because Wendy was talking about going through a bit of a depression and dissatisfaction with the job that she was in and trying to figure out what was going to be next for her. Did either of you ever experience anything like that? Did not, Adrian, because what happened for me was when I went to my first, now mind you, I had been researching my retirement to make sure that I could live outside of there. And when I went for my first training with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, it was just for self-fulfillment and, and self-exploration. However, the training just impacted me so uh, intensely that when I left there, 
I knew I was going to retire. And I knew I would do something to help people. Yeah. Did you ever get discouraged, Karen, as you were going through all that? Because that real estate and getting preparing for the exam and all of that, it just seemed like a lot. It was a lot. And I couldn't, (laughs) in the middle of it, I was like, what are you doing? Because, Wendy, I went back to school to get my PhD. Oh, my goodness. Years before. I'm ABD. I'm ABD. Oh, wow. Okay. But I got sick. That's when I got lupus. And and it turns out that the doctor said that the stress of going back is what put me over the edge. Because that was, oh, my goodness. It was something else. But anyway, yeah, I doing that real estate, I was like, oh, my goodness. What in the world am I doing now? But again, I had, it turns out where I was taking my classes is the agency I ended up with. And it was a Black woman who was teaching the class. And it's a Black woman who runs my agency. She's the the broker. And that made all the difference in the world because I had support. You know, that and, and both of them to this day. And, and like I said, the, my broker is just, she's just an angel. It's a bit of a challenge for people to, when they think about retirement and think about the possibility of doing something else, is to really find what that something else is. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to actually figure out what it is that you want to do and what can really work for your life now, considering you may have health issues considering your family responsibilities. I know Phelps was always supportive of what you wanted to do, Karen. And I know he's always been supportive of anything I wanted to do. Yeah. And of course, Wendy, like that, it goes without saying, Richard is like your rock. So I'm sorry, Richard is Wendy's husband, guys. I, I forgot to met to the listeners. Yeah. You said something earlier about passion which is so true. If you're going to, whether you want to call it a second career, retirement, whatever, it is truly about finding meaning and purpose in your life and doing what you're passionate about. So although I went back to school and I am doing counseling now and I am working for myself, I am my own business owner like you, Karen, that makes all the difference in the world because at this point, Now that I have my own practice, while I was doing my clinical hours, my postgraduate work, I I did work for someone else. And it's so freeing to be able to work for myself. So it feels like retirement, although I'm working, but I love what I do when I wake up in the morning. Seriously, when I wake up in the morning and I think about the fact that I can go to my office. Well, I'm not going to my office now, but that I'm doing what I love. I'm talking to people all day long. Like that's right up my alley. <laughs> and I I love it. So it doesn't really feel like a job. There are aspects of it, of course, that I, I don't like the business aspect. I have to do billing. I have to write notes and all those things and keep up with everything and talk to my tax man, which stresses me totally out. But 
I love what I am doing. And so it does not feel like a job. I can do this really literally until I close my eyes finally. So it won't feel like this. So I can work as much as I want or I can scale back. And that's what makes the difference. Let's talk a little bit about that. What boundaries have the three of you set for yourselves in this new career opportunity? Because I know that, that there have been some boundaries. I'm embarrassed to say <laughs> that as I speak to people about boundaries every day, all day, it has been challenging because I work a lot. And I, I think I feel this commitment to people to, to really help people. So it's difficult for me to say no. So I've done different things. I've worked a lot. I've changed my schedule a couple of times to try to factor in time for myself and all these things. But it's still, I have to be honest, it's a work in progress. It really is a work in progress to carve in that time for self-reflection, self-care. And self-care is just not about getting your hair and nails done. It's really what Sybil was talking about. Just being able to relax and think and meditate and do some other things, family time, quality time with my husband. You have to really think about it. You have to really think about it. So I'm still working on it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> what do you say about that, Karen, as far as setting boundaries for yourself? Because of the type of industry I'm in real estate, it ebbs and flows anyway. I'm just about done until January. Nobody's really, I got a couple things that'll be settling, but nobody is putting their house on the market. Uh, don't jump to that so quick. Just putting you on notice. Moving on. Sybil, what, did you have something that you, because I'm just leaving her, I'm just dropping that little nugget there for her. I would just drop that right there. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes, yes, yes. I, I agree with Wendy. I think that when you're doing something that you're passionate about, the challenge is to establish boundaries and maintain them. So for me, every day, I have to say, I'm going in at such a time and I'm going to leave at a certain time. And I started out working three days a week and I moved to four days a week and I, ref I refused to go to five days a week. And so it's incumbent upon me to continue to have that conversation with myself that I'm only going to work four days a week. I'm only going to work eight, maybe 10 hours a day. And then the rest of the time is for me, but it's a juggling act because when you're doing things that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, it's hard to cut it off. It's, you agree? I totally agree with what you're saying. And you're starting, you started at three days. I started at six days a week. I was working Sunday through Friday. And I had to, I, I didn't stop doing that until May. This past May is when I just said, okay, I'm not working Sundays anymore. I'm just, I have to stop. I had to make a hard stop and I talked to some of my clients and put them in the schedule during the week and people understood that. And I, as I reflect upon it, I don't even know how I did that for so long. 
So now I'm working five days a week. One of these days I'll cut back. I'm expecting my first grandchild in February. So I know that's going to that's gonna force me to do some things different. Yeah. Right. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's gonna that's gonna be really interesting having all of you in the house. That's gonna be a lot of changes, a lot of changes. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up... (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. 
and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So have we really answered the question, though, of what draws us all back into the workforce, though? Have we really answered that? Meaning and purpose. Meaning, purpose, and it could be financial, definitely. Like Sybil was saying, she was looking at, okay, I've been working all these years. I'm vested with the government. I can retire in five. You have to figure out whether or not you can live. So that's real. That's absolutely real. And the fact that she looked at that five years ahead of time. And I was looking at that also. I I knew, but I had several more years to work. So I had particular financial goals in mind, my husband and I collectively in terms of making sure, are we still going to be in a mortgage? Those kinds of things. I was still educating children. So I had some other things that were challenging knowing that I needed to continue. But I will tell you this, I am 59 now. I'll be 60 in June. These next five years, we're going down downhill in terms of everything, just making sure that financially we are set. So doing this work, it will be because I want to, not because I have to. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Wendy. And I think that part of my preparation for uh, retirement was actually a shift I had to shift the way I was looking at things. I had to shift the way I looked at my finances. I was blessed to be under the old retirement system with the federal government. And I retired at 37 years of service. However, if I had retired at 41 years of service in 11 months, I would have received 80% of my salary. So that is the way that it worked under the old system. So I was blessed in that vein, but this is a little joke that I had to myself to prepare for that in my mind. Because see, we can put everything down on paper, but I had to prepare my mind. And I would tell them, I'm leaving and I don't care if I got to live in the projects. I'm out of here. And Once I lowered those expectations, and mind you, I used common sense. I accounted for all of the expenses that I had, but I actually ended out better than I was when I was working. I could have gotten a larger pension had I stayed longer, but I was at a place where I was comfortable. And Wendy keeps talking about purpose and meaning. And I wanted to flip the scale on that. I wanted the the focus on the finances to be less and the focus on the purpose and meaning to be greater. And just trusting in my higher power that everything was going to be okay. My needs were going to be met. It's a whole mindset that has to shift. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because after you work for so long and you're giving and you're doing it because you absolutely have to take that load off, it, it, it's a wonderful feeling. It, it, it's just so much more meaningful, if you will. I keep using that word. Yeah. 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 Very empowering. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to that, Karen? Because I feel like in your circumstances, not so much the idea of purpose, but just really something that is a plus financially and just something to keep you busy and just something that you enjoy, even though it's difficult. It's not like it's a day at the park all the time, but there's not so much pressure, I would say. I'm just thinking about this. I just reflect back on our mother. And we, first of all, we weren't allowed not to do anything. We don't know what that is. We were not allowed not. If you lived in her house, you either worked or go to school. You got up in the morning and you put your clothes on. Even if you were sick. Yep. You had to be deathly, you had to be really deathly sick because even if you didn't feel well, She said, you will feel better once you get up and put your clothes on. You'll just feel better about yourself. And I don't think she would have retired had she not gotten sick. Yep, I agree. She she retired, you know, in her 60s, but it was because she had cancer. And she immediately started doing things to keep herself busy. She tried, she went on her bucket list. She did her bucket list. But... My thing was, that's how we were raised. We were raised that we, you have a purpose. You're supposed to make the world better by your presence. And I do that through my volunteer work. I'm on board, community boards and things like that. So it's always in the back of my mind, what are you getting ready to do? What are we doing today? What, what's on the list? What am, I just can't imagine not having some purpose and something that I'm supposed to be doing. Let me ask, did you all, we might've touched on this a little bit, but did you all feel intimidated any going back to school at an older age? Did you feel like you were challenged keeping up with the younger students or Were you in a situation where most of the people in the courses or in the classes were of similar age? For me, interestingly enough, I was very intimidated just about going back to school, period, for several reasons. But when I got there, (laughs) I was pleasantly surprised with the mean age. There were people, I would, I don't really know what the mean age was, but There were adults and a lot of people were coming back for second careers. When we started talking to each other and just the introduction with the cohort was like, wow, I wasn't alone. We did have a few young people that were coming straight out of undergrad into graduate school, but there were more of us than there were of them. I would have to say that. So I, I got comfortable with that idea of being there. Now, I was in the older range. I would say most of the people were probably late 30s to mid 40s. And then there were those of us 
who were in that second half of life, (laughs) where you have more years behind you than you do ahead of you. So there was a nice mixture. So I got comfortable probably after the first semester, I started to get a little more comfortable. What about you, Sib? I didn't have the experience of being intimidated by age with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. But I was intimidated by the uh, credentials of my classmates. And I had my mentor who would always tell me they bought those credentials, what you have money can't buy. But I was very intimidated being in an alternative healing training like that with surgeons and psychiatrists and therapists and this credential and that credential. And here I am, I had none of that, but I had life experiences and I had something that was natural in me to give to others. And I really just needed someone from the outside to help me see that. Karen? Let me see. Yeah, I I would say I was intimidated just because of the, I've never been good at math. And so (laughs) the older I got, the, the more difficult but like I said, I took the class of my daughter. So it was like, all right, <laughs> how are we supposed to do this, Whitney? <laughs> right, help me out here. <laughs> and it was the same way when I went to grad school. We had a mixture just like you were talking about, Wendy. And we would have study groups and the younger people would be for like statistics, which I think is just cruel. It's just, it's not fair. It's not right. And because I just, just that was just beyond my comprehension. But I re- we had, the younger people were there that would help us, yeah. And I know for myself, I have to say, obviously, I'm very clear that if it was not for my family connections, I would not be in the, be blessed to be in the position that I'm in now. I'm very clear on that. But also recognizing the intimidation for me because my entire family is already in the business. And so I was a newbie and I still feel like I'm coming in really not knowing anything and then having to adjust and try to live up to, you know, who they are, live up to their names. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. But you know what I thought about, Karen? I thought about mommy. Because remember when she used to do People Are Talking? Oh, yeah. With Richard Scher in Baltimore, Maryland. It was a, a talk show that came on in Baltimore, Maryland many years ago. And my mother was a regular contributor to that. She was on the panel. Awesome. I had totally forgotten about that. I remembered it the other day. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, one last question I want to ask, one, one final thought that I want to have when, when we're talking about careers and jobs. Is there any advice that you would offer young people when they're considering a job or career path? Because what I hear now so frequently, and even in my family, is that young people that have gone to school, graduated, graduated, gotten their degrees, and still are very dissatisfied with their job. And I feel like it's because they have a job 
and not a career. But I don't really know how to guide people on that. And it it always comes back to me. You got to figure out what it is that you want to do. What is it that you like? What is it that you're doing in your life that you enjoy? And I always enjoyed medicine. I went to the hospital with my dad when he was making rounds. I would sit at the dinner table with my, because my sister was married to a doctor at one time. And I would sit at the dinner table with that. And he was an obstetrician in Baltimore, one of the best. And I just enjoyed those conversations. So when it came time for me to decide on a career, I started out as a medical secretary and then eventually moved on into nursing. So I, it wasn't really all that difficult for me. But I just feel like people go to school and they graduate and I was like, they're getting degrees and coming out. Their jobs don't have anything to do with what they're going to school for because they just, they're just getting a job because they they're, they're ready to get out and live their life. But they're very unsatisfied. But you know what? The kids are trained and, and drilled into just graduate and go to college. Yep. And there are other things. I agree, Karen. And f- for me, it was a mistake for me to go to college. It was a big mistake. It took me 20 years to get my degree because I just, I was lost. And I went because my mother said, this is where I should go and this is what I should do. And so I just think that more time needs to be spent, Sybil, with kids in school, mindfulness and just getting within themselves and figuring out who you are. Because it took me years to figure out. I was a secretary for 15 years. Just because I don't know. I know. And when I went to nursing school, I went to nursing school late. I was the oldest one in my class. I think this is, we could have a a very different conversation about this that presents several challenges. Because I think the first thing is, like Karen said, children are just going to school and and they're going through the motion. You graduate from high school, you should, quote unquote, go to college. And uh, so we expect kids at 18 years old to know what they want their life work to be. And I think that's an unrealistic expectation. Some people know, like you said, Adrian, if you're sitting at the feet of a physician or something like that, some people really know what they want to do. But I think even if, and say you go straight through medical school or whatever it is, whatever you decide you want to do, this thing about a job versus a career, it depends on what's available. Okay. Some kids are doing what they think they want to do, but then they get out here and they can't find a job. So that's why they're taking these other jobs. The salaries suck. There's so many other factors that go along with this. Now gap years are becoming popular after high school, getting some work experience and just really trying to figure it out. But see, the parents have to buy into that. It just really depends on what your background is. You were just talking about your mom and you having to be productive all the time. Like you can't just sit around, get up, let's get the day started. Let's get it going. And I came from that kind of environment also. We're not going to waste the day. So 
there are all of these factors that come into play. So in terms of advice, I think it would have to start in on the high school level as people are beginning to think for themselves and really being able to make decisions for themselves and understanding what the benefits and the consequences are to whatever it is the environment had for them. If you have to get out there and work, some people can't go to college. They have to just work and they work their way up. So I think there are a lot of factors which makes it difficult to give hard, concrete advice on what to do. But I do think that they can explore, but that would have to start earlier in life because usually they're not exploring until they get to college or they're getting out there and they're working a job and they're miserable because they're not making the kind of money they want to make and there might be financial hardships that they have to be able to do something else. So I think it's a different kind of conversation. That's just my personal opinion. And I feel bad that they've taken um, away all the vocational and tech schools too, because I, I think that they were very important because everybody is not college material. And you certainly can be successful without going to college. So absolutely you can. But I think they're finding out now. They're finding out as they go into these jobs, if you will, and they've gotten, if they've gone to school or whatever. But I think this generation now, they're just not having it. They're not listening to all this stuff that people are telling them. They're figuring it out for themselves. They really are. And if they don't like what they're doing, then they're pursuing other things. And they have ambition and they're grinding. They're grinding to do the things that they are passionate about. Yeah, yeah. But you also, Wendy, made a good point about young people graduating from college with a degree and just needing employment because they're ready to move on. So one of the things that I would do, because in my team, management team, before I left the federal government, I had mostly people under 30 with bachelor's degrees. And in mentoring them, one of the things that I would ask them was what they went to school for. And then whatever that is, find it in this job. Find it in this job because to me, I started the federal government with a job. I ended with a career. And so a career is built on experiences unless you have something specific like a doctor or a lawyer. And one of the, and I have one child that is very successful and never went to college. She went through a vocational route and it has fared very well for her. And then I have another one that did go to college, undergrad, graduate, and because of that money, you better find yourself in it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Find yourself in it and you can do that even if you have to go to a technical job with an organization, a federal agency or whatever. There are opportunities to find yourself in it. And I think one of the things that maybe some of our young people don't understand is that experience is what makes the career. So build on what you've already done because you don't know what you want to do until you get there and you find it. But on the way, Keep building on what you're already learning. Right. Agreed. 
Any final thoughts for those listeners out there that may be considering another career after retirement? Go for it. Go for it. Definitely. Definitely. We're only on this earth for a short time. Do what you love. If you can, do what you love. There you go. All right. So we're going to wind it down and roll on out of here with our Wouldn't You Like to Know segment where you answer three rapid fire questions with the first phrase that comes to your mind. What books are you currently reading? What book or books? And Karen, I'll start with you. I'm reading John Meacham's His Truth is Marching On about uh, John Lewis. I'm usually a novel reader, but through this period of what we're going through, I've really had to step up my nonfiction. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, because I know you and I both are big on audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks when I'm listening to fiction. But when I'm doing nonfiction, I tend to have to read it so that I can really absorb what's going on. Are you like that too? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I got I got to be able to write in the margin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highlight. Look up words. Yes. Look up words. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Sybil? What are you reading? I started reading The Code of Black Law, but it was a little bit too heavy. I had to put it down because it was too real. So now I am embarking on uncomfortable conversations with a Black man. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And you, Wendy? It's difficult for me to to find time for pleasurable reading. So right now I'm reading Thriving as an Impact, 365 Days of Self-Care for Sensitive People. So I I read a lot of books that give me information that help me in my work. So, Have you tried audiobooks? Absolutely, I have. And I guess I just ordered Barack Obama's new book. And when I got it in the mail and saw that it was 700 and some odd pages, I said, oh, no, I will be getting the audio version of that. 700 pages? It is. Let me tell you, it's 700 pages. And I said. That's the first volume. Oh, my goodness. So I said, I'm going to have to order it as an audio book. And the last audio book that I listened to, I listened to Michelle's on audio. Yeah, got it. Got it. Okay, Karen, one thing you want to get off your chest. I will be glad when January 20th comes. I don't need, we don't need to ask why. Wendy? I think respecting people's boundaries, especially in this pandemic. I think that people have what I call pandemic boundaries. And I think people should respect them because they're different for each individual. That's a good one. That's a good one. Sybil? I'll be glad when COVID is lifted and I can travel safely. Me and you both. Yeah. All right, Sybil, what's a motto you live by? Don't negotiate against yourself. That's my mantra. Don't negotiate against yourself. Don't tell yourself no. Let someone else tell you no. Wendy? The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Woohoo! Facts. Karen, you? I just always remember my mother saying, you are your brother's keeper. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Thank you, ladies. This was cool. Quite an enjoyable conversation. 
And it was good to see. Uh, can I say that it was good to see everybody? Because even though the listeners can't see, we can see each other. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 All right, guys. Thank you so much. So these are my takeaways with my conversation on retirement. Number one, take time to figure out what you really want to do. Number two, purpose and meaning can be the catalyst to starting a new, more meaningful career. And number three, don't let age hinder any post-retirement aspirations you may have. Thank you to my guests, Wendy, Sybil, and Karen for sharing your retirement stories with us. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the episode. Follow me on my Instagram at Gammy Norris to share with me your thoughts on the episode. I'm here, I'm talking, and I'm listening. And as always, folks, stay grateful. Positively Gam is produced by Westbrook Audio. Executive Producers, Adrian Banfield-Norris, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Amanda Brown, and Fallon Jethro. Co-executive producer, Sim Hoti. Segment producer, Ash Francis. Associate producer, Erica Ron. Editor and mixer, Calvin Bayless. Positively Gam is in partnership with Art19. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts 